Marriage is not always easy, but God wants you and your spouse to build a healthy relationship that reflects His love. Join us for Pursuing Love, a new series of messages designed to show you the beauty, hope, and purpose that God has for marriage. If you would take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles tonight. We talked this morning really about the why of marriage and that marriage is a picture. And I said this morning marriage is a picture of four things. It's a, it's a picture of Christ's unending love for the church. Marriage is a picture of Christ's unending love for the church. I don't have time to re-preach the message, but let's remember that the why of marriage is not so that you can simply live with somebody. It's not simply so that you can have companionship or enjoy one another. It's not so, as we saw this morning, so that you can make more money or uh, have uh, raise kids more easily, though all of those things are true. And they are benefits, but the why of marriage is far greater than that. And our text helps us to understand that it is first a picture of Christ's unending love for his church. And we cannot lose sight of that in verse 25 to 27. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and the savior of the body. Uh, 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 Husbands, he goes on, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, not having spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We cannot lose sight of that. And, And I'm telling you, it would be so beneficial for you as you go through your day to coach, self-coach and remind yourself that your marriage is a picture to a lost and dying world of Christ's unending love for his church. One of the reasons divorce is such an affront to the gospel is because it, it mars the picture of Christ's unending love for the church. Let me say it again. It mars the picture of Christ's unending love for the church. And again, I know some of you have been through divorce. I'm not making light of that in the slightest way. Know my heart. But we do have to be biblically accurate when we say that it does mar the picture. And I understand that many times there's guilty parties and many times there's innocent parties. And somebody said to me one time as a, when I was taking counseling in college, everybody's at fault in a marriage breakup. The longer I go, I don't always believe that. Everybody can be at fault in a marriage problem, but not everybody is at fault in a marriage breakup. It's not absolute. Though most of the time it is true, it's not always absolute. And I know some of you have been through very, very dark and difficult times trying to rescue your marriage to no avail. I get that and I understand it. And you would probably be the first to admit or to say that it does mar the picture of Christ's unending love to his church or for his church to a lost and dying world. It does do that. Well, verse 27 helps us as well. And so this passage doesn't stop with one point. As I said this morning, I think there's four ideas in this text. And in verse number 27, we see that it is a picture of Christ. Marriage is a picture of Christ's desire for our best. It is a picture of 
Christ's desire for our best, that he, Christ, might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Christ will present the church to himself. This is Christ's desire for the local New Testament church. And men, again, this is to us, this should be our desire for our families. That we might present our families to Christ, not having spot, and, pray, and our, really here our wives, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that our wives should be holy and without blemish. This is not a unique idea to the book of Ephesians, Colossians chapter 1, verse number 22. The Bible says, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you, talking about Jesus to the believers in Colossae, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Christ allows you to go through things. Christ matures you and I. He is working in us, Hebrews chapter 12. He, he is chastening us. He is working on us so that we could be presented to him holy and unblameable and unreprovable. Not perfect, but holy and unblameable and unreprovable. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 28, that same chapter. It says, whom we preach, talking about Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ or every man mature in Christ. The Bible talks about new Christians who have newly come to Christ as newborn babes, as, as, as baby Christians, as, as the old saying often is referred to, as, as, as Christians who, who sometimes make messes and make mistakes, and we all are messy people from time to time. But we go through things in life so that when, when we stand before the Lord, we may be perfect. That word perfect means mature, not sinless, but mature in our faith, that we may be mature, perfect in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the reality. Christ really does desire your best. So if that's going to be the case, what am I going to do? Well, look at verse number 27. Uh, that uh, he might present it to himself a glorious church and I haven't spotted a wrinkle or any such thing. I'm going to love her in such a way that she desires to follow my lead. Uh, I'm going to love her and love your wife in such a way that she desires to follow your leadership. Man, this is for us. Not, I'm going to lead you in such a way that you will love me. If her love for you is the objective, you'll never accomplish the goal. Let me say it again. If her loving you is the objective, you will never accomplish the God-given goal that you have. No, I'm going to love you in such a way that you desire to follow my lead. Debbie, I'm going to love you in such a way that you want to follow my leadership. How am I going to lead you? Verse 27, the first part, present to himself a glorious church. I'm going to prepare you to meet Jesus. Now, that could be bad. Prepare to meet thy God. 
But in seriousness, that's really what the verse says, that he might present it to himself. That means to present something to a superior. I'm going to prepare you to, to stand before the Lord. I, I, I'm going I'm, I'm to prepare you. Many of you were in the, in the military and, and you went through uh, boot camp, especially if you're in the Marine Corps. I've had the privilege of, of going to the drill field at, at MCRD and indoctrination night. And that's a, the saddest night of my life, seeing young men get off the bus and their whole world is shattered. And they realize for the first time ever that that drill instructor was the biggest liar in human history. Hey, when you get off the bus, they'll have fast food for you, and they'll have a, you'll get a free haircut, and, and they'll tell you where to go and give directions. And about three seconds into that, you've got young grown men who are, you know, whatever, and they're standing there, and there's a drill instructor that's giving them clear directions. And, and the drill instructor is not bawling, but they are, and they showed weakness. So many drill instructors come around, and, and they give words of exhortation and encouragement. What are they doing? They're helping them. Let's be honest. They're helping them because they know the day is coming when they will be presented on the drill field for a graduation ceremony. I'm I'm going to lead you by preparing you to meet Jesus. That's what verse 27 says. I, I, I might present to himself a glorious church without spot. That word spot is a figurative word in a moral sense of a stain. It would mean a a mistake that tarnishes one's life and marriage, a mistake that is so serious that it's difficult to wash off of your body. It's an unmovable stain. It's a a mistreatment or abuse. It's a a loose or an immoral behavior. It's, It's withdrawal or avoidance. And he says, no, I'm going to lead you in such a way that you're going to be prepared. You're going to be ready to meet the Lord. And I'm going to lead you so that you won't have any moral spots in your life. If you'll follow me, that's where I'll lead you. That's what he's saying. That he might present it to himself. Well, why is Christ going to present the church to himself? Well, because he's God. So he's our preparer and he's our judge. He's our instructor and our general. And he is preparing us without spot. And notice what it says in verse 27, the second part, part B, not not having spot or wrinkle. The older I get, the more I understand what a wrinkle is. Seems like every day when I wake up, I find new friends. Most of them on my forehead. I've been naming rivers on my forehead for a while. I'm just going to have to call them all a body of water and now they're currents in the ocean. There's so many of them. A wrinkle is a, is, a, is a fold and it causes friction. And here it rattles the nerves. It needs to be ironed out. And the picture of a wrinkle is one of instability and insecurity. Not having any moral spots, not having any instability, not having any insecurities. Men, our families have insecurities because of our temper and our reaction. Because we can blow up at the slightest infraction. I'll be honest with you. I'll probably have to repent of my temper more than anything else. 
you're probably, well, maybe you're like me. I don't know if you're like me at all, but I'll be super vulnerable on this. I can be in the middle, or especially when my kids are at home, I could be in the middle of, of a training session, which other people might call a tirade. And I'm frustrated because of a dirty room or a dirty car or a bad grade or a meal not ready or whatever the case may be. And, and let me just be super candid with you. I was in the flesh. Now, some of you aren't that way, but you're dismissive and you'll walk to the room and you'll be all sullen and quiet and everything else. And I could be in the middle of one of those and then somebody would call me, be it from the church or a friend or whatever, and I could answer the phone like there's not a single problem in the world. You know what we would call that biblically? A wrinkle. Causes friction. And I want to present you not having spot or wrinkle. I want my words not to cause wrinkles in your life. I feel like I need to stop and say this. That's why you're a fool, the biblical word for a fool, if you don't apologize when you mess up. That's why it's also foolish if you're not careful, you'll just get in the habit of acting however you want and then going, oh, I'm sorry, and it doesn't mean anything. I just bought a book entitled, When Sorry Means Nothing. I'll just act however I want and then say sorry. Well, well, I, I know men who've abused their families who said sorry. You say, no, but I'm serious. So were they. But he that has no rule over his own spirits like a city broken down without walls. And if you can stop in a moment and answer a phone from your boss, your friend, your parent, or your pastor, and you can keep yourself under control, then you're not out of control. You're just choosing to act like a fool. And it causes wrinkles. And I'm just telling you what the word means. It means friction brought on by temper. Now, we, it's easy, how many of you know it's really easy to call people out who, who might have an outgoing uh, personality and, and, and when folks like me, we get angry, it's not hard to find out. We, 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 it's written all over our face. You know, I don't have to say a word. Debbie can walk in and go, oh, what's wrong? Well, nothing, Why? Well, oh, I can tell something's wrong. You can only say constipated so many times. No, really, what's wrong? Some it's written all over our face. But for some of you, you become withdrawn, dismissive. You hide out in the room. Your, listen to me, your temper tantrum is not a vocal explosion. It's a quiet seething in some other part of the house where you don't want and won't be around anybody. Both are equally sinful. Both causes wrinkles, not having spot 
or wrinkle or any such thing. Continue looking at verse 27 just for the sake of time. But that it should be holy and without blemish. Uh, holy, untouched by evil. The husband's love for his wife, if it is a real love, will stir him to be holy and unblemished and go a long way in striving with his wife to live the same way. The point is striking. It's, a, it's an eye-opener. It shows, it shows how dependent the marriage is upon the love of the husband and how much the husband's love affects the entirety of the marriage. Few wives would reject a husband. Few wives would refuse a husband who will walk hand in hand with her and, and love her and help her present herself before Christ without spot, without wrinkle, without anything that would bring a blemish on her character before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I, I'm going to prepare you to meet Jesus and I'm going to love you, verse 28, in the same way that I love myself. I'm going to love you the same way that I love myself. So what men to love their wives, the Bible says, as their own bodies, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man, verse 29, ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord of the church. Pay attention to what he's saying here. The husband is to love his wife the same way he loves his own body. He's to nourish his wife and cherish his wife as he does his own body. The word nourish, you know what it means. It means to, to feed. It means to clothe. It means to nurture. It, it means to look after until she is mature in the marriage and then continue nourishing her as long as she lives. It's to figure out what her needs are, men, and then meet those needs, and then continue to meet those needs. Well, for how long? Until you both meet Jesus. It's not a part-time job. That's why if you do pre-marriage counseling with Chris Chadwick, we don't play. I used to be nice and scared that people might leave the church and so I wouldn't always tell them. Now I'm like, if you're that big of a loser, see ya. But I'm gonna speak the truth in your life. If, it, if, you're, a, if you're not gonna nourish and cherish her, you don't, you don't deserve her. And ladies, listen to me. Some of you are single. We've got a lot of single ladies in our church. Praise, praise God for every one of you. Better that you are single than married to some dude who lives for himself. If, if, if you're a dude and you're more interested in your next level of what your latest video game is, listen, you're a punk who doesn't deserve to be married. And then we got dudes in our church like, I just like video games. Oh, right on. Like them. Don't date. Because if you date, you don't put me in a weird position. I already know the decision. That decision was made about nine months ago. I'll go to the girl after the first date and say, hey, sweetheart, let me tell you something. And I'm telling you like your daddy from California. Dude will never cherish you. He's too busy on the computer. 
He's too busy worried about, uh, I don't know what, I don't even know what games are out there anymore. They all look weird to me. The only games that should have ever been invented are sports games. Can I get an amen? We even allowed soccer, but now we've got things like, oh, we got, you know, like medieval games. Hey, those were over hundreds of years ago. Let it go. They're bad then. They're really bad on your computer screen. Good grief. It ain't coming back. Star Wars is more of a reality to sick people than, than medieval games were. But whatever. But hey, he's, he's more concerned about that. You say, oh, Pastor, I'm not married. Why do you care? Let me just stop and talk to our single dudes right now. If I'm not married in 2023, let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm learning a career. I'm getting a job. I'm investing my life. I'm, oh, there's a Bible idea here. I'm redeeming the time because the days are evil. I'm not wasting the time because the days are fun. I'm learning how to improve myself. I'm not on Instagram. I don't have a social media account. I'm not on any of that because I've got a bigger goal in my life. I've got a wife coming down the, the track somewhere. I don't know when. I don't know who. And by the grace of God, I don't know how it's going to happen. And I know many of you, and I know that's kind of how you feel. But you need to be prepared because the Bible talks about a, a man foreseeth the evil or the difficulty and he prepares himself. You need to be preparing yourself even as a teenager preparing yourself for what is coming and be addicted to preparation so when the opportunity comes, you're not working three jobs at three different McDonald's so you, so you can provide for your family. You've prepared in such a way that when the time arises, you're good to go. You're not waiting until the fight comes to learn how to throw a punch. You're not getting in the ring going, uh, am I right-handed or left-handed? How do I hold my hands? Oh, maybe I shouldn't have got in here. Yeah. You're, you're prepared. It's the idea here. You nourisheth as long as she lives. And notice what the word says as well, verse 29. And cherisheth it means to hold dear within the heart. To treat with warmth and tenderness. Care, affection, appreciation. Here's an idea. You treat her better than she treats you. Because we're going to see the Bible doesn't tell her to cherish you. To treat you dearly. But the reality is most women will treat their husband, they'll cherish their husband. Debbie will wake up in the morning and she'll make, and listen, because of the way I work out and the way I do nutrition and stuff, I am weird. I, I, I put beet juice, spirulina, and three other powdered vitamins in my water. I heat it to a certain temperature. I put ice in the water. I do all of those things, and, and then I go to work and I drink that. And, and she's like, I want to do that for you. So she wakes up in the morning and she provides. I'm like, babe, just stay in bed. It's only 930. You shouldn't get up yet. No, I'm, I'm kidding about the time, but I'm like, seriously, I'll take care of that. She's like, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. I'm going to be super candid with her. I'm glad she's not here. Are you ready? I'll do that kind of stuff for her, but I don't want to. 
I like wake up in the morning. I'm like, do you want coffee? And I'm praying. Every man in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm like, do you want coffee? And she'll, she'll go, sure, that'd be great. And I'm like, no. I threw her a K-cup pod the other day, and she just looked at me like, here you go. <laughs> that didn't go over so well, especially since I'd used it. <sighs> I'm going to cherish her. I need to cherish her. You say, Pastor, do you meet this standard? No, but that's my objective. There's times when we all do well, isn't there? That's why I love preaching the Bible, because it's not a Chris standard, it's a Christ standard. That's why we can go, uh, no, we're in the same boat. We're in the same boat. I literally, there's times, the other day, we got back from Columbia, and I don't know why this happened. I was talking to Emily earlier tonight, and she felt the same way. I had major jet lag from a three-hour time difference. And I don't know why that happened, but, man, we came back, and, and, you know, the church blessed us with those evil little dogs that we have. And they didn't have a time difference. And we got back from Columbia, and we were just exhausted. And so the dogs wake up about 6.15, 6.30. We put them in another room and shut the door. But, but then, you know, the dog CPS people came. You got to let your dogs out of the cage. And so I'm just being honest with you. I was awake, but I was hoping not to stay awake very long. And I was like, oh, Jesus, let me go back to sleep. Debbie will wake up. And I just laid there, and then Debbie goes, oh, the dogs are barking. And she takes the covers, and she throws them back. She's like, I'll get them. And I waited until she was halfway in the other room. I'm like, I could help. <laughs> I didn't even repent of that one. <laughs> Not a lot of cherishing there. So I did get up and open the door for her. I really did. I didn't make her open the door by herself. <laughs> Even as I said it, it made no sense. And to cherish her. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Loveth himself. Hey, can I be honest with you guys sometimes? It, it, I'm going to be honest, let me, ish. There's, there's times in your life, men, when it's hard to love your wife. Ladies, it should probably be for a man-only session, but you should know it. You say, why do you say that? Anything God tells us to do is difficult. It just really is. The Bible doesn't repeatedly tell husbands to love their wives because that's a natural, easy thing to do. God tells us to love our wives, if I can be candid with you, because at times it's very challenging for us. We can be very driven, can't we? 
We can be uber driven. I got to get up and I got to get to the office. And can you put my food together? And how come my clothes aren't ironed? And, and uh, by the way, while I sit here, please put my socks on because I got to make a call. And, and I've never done that, but I'm just saying. We can think of a thousand things and we get so busy. But the, when the Bible says husbands love your wives, it can be very challenging. Listen to the words about to come out of my mouth. You need to pray on a daily basis that you will love her like you love yourself and like Christ loves the church. Ladies, don't get upset by that. We'll see, early, we'll see in other places that the older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. You're in the same boat. But men, there's times... When, when you won't always feel excited to be around your wife. For Debbie and I, it, after she spends about two or three days with her parents, I just really struggle to be around her. I really do. She knows it. It's, it's, like, it's like a warning sign, like, hey, I'm going to my parents for two days. Like, two days? Can you make it a day and a half? You say, well, she's got godly parents. Yeah, but they're still her parents. And they're weird. And they think she's never made a mistake. And so she goes to them and, and like, you've not been to my in-law's mobile home that's made out of paneling. But there's a shrine to Debbie. She sleeps on the Debbie throne. They have the Debbie food. And when she comes home, there's not a Debbie throne. There's a throne she has to clean, but there's not a Debbie throne. There's, there's things she has to do. It's just normal life. And, and it, it's sometimes hard for her to love me, and sometimes it's hard for me to love her. I, listen to me. I can't accomplish any of this, and I got one more point that will be quick. Apart from the grace of God. If you think that you can accomplish this apart from the grace of God, you're never going to have a successful marriage. You might stay married, but staying married is not the standard of success. Staying joyfully married in accordance with Ephesians chapter 5, that's the standard for success. And, and you need to be a person of intense prayer to be attracted to your wife, to be loving to your wife, to be gracious to your wife. God, I can't do this on my own because my flesh doesn't always want to treat her like I treat myself. I don't want to present her to you spotless and without blame. I don't want to love her as I love my own body. But God says if you love your wife, you love yourself. See, marriage is a picture of Christ's desire for our best. It's also a picture of Christ's willingness to leave his father. So, verse 31, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined into his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Seven times in the book of Matthew, Jesus made this statement, my father which is in heaven. For this cause shall a man leave, that means to be separated from, his father and his mother. Parents, I plead with you, I got seven minutes to do this in, but I plead with you to prepare your kids to leave your house. 
The last thing you want in the world you want is your kids to move out and them to be totally dependent on you. I'm not saying not love you. I'm not saying not call you. I'm not saying any of that. Don't get me wrong. Don't read into what I'm saying. But to where their whole world is dependent on you. They're supposed to leave your house when they get married and be joined unto their spouse. If it's a boy, joined unto his wife. By the way, his wife, which is a woman who uses pronouns she and her. Just in case you're wondering, that's a biblical idea. You say, well, that's old-fashioned. Welcome to Old Fashioned Baptist Church. There actually is one in Kansas I just found out about. That made me laugh. I'm like, old-fashioned She'll be joined unto his wife. The word joined means to fasten together. The word joined means to glue together in such a way that it doesn't come apart. The easiest example in our world is plywood. It means it's the closest union possible. This looks like one piece of wood, but it's probably something I've talked to people. This is, I think, half inch. Uh, I think it's something like 32 really small sheets of wood that have been glued together in a perpendicular way. And, and it's impossible to break this apart with your hands. I mean, I, may, you, I don't even think you could do that with machinery to break this apart. It is it is joined together. It will not come apart. It has literally become one. Literally, it's one thing. To join together is a spiritual union. It's more than just living together. It's more than just having sexual relationships and a relationship and bearing offspring. Animals do that. It's spiritual fullness. It's sharing a life together. It's dedication, consecration, uh, completeness. It's a, a sanctification that makes a person the exclusive possession of God and the spouse. No other friend has that closeness. No other family member has that closeness. It, it's, a, it's a cleaving or a spiritual union. You're joined together and you're so joined together that you have... No problem, though difficulty emotionally, but no problem leaving father and mother and being joined into your wife. Your allegiances have changed. There are three types of union in a pure marriage. There's a physical union. We'll talk about that during the weekend or when kids aren't present. But we read about that in 1 Corinthians 7, 2 to 5 primarily. There's a mental union, sharing one another's lives and dreams and hopes and working together to realize those dreams and hopes. People often ask me and Debbie, they'll say, what are your dreams? And she'll, she'll tell them theirs and I'll tell them mine. And they're like, those are like the same, right? Same dreams, same hopes. They are a little bit different. When we retire, Debbie wants to start a church in New York City. I told her I'm staying in San Diego. She goes, well, what are we gonna do? I said, well, I guess you're moving to New York City. Because I'm not going. We joke around about that. We talk about serving Christ together in our old age. Debbie would love to buy property in, in Cambodia and us to live half of the year in Cambodia, running a factory, helping Christians have good paying jobs. It's a, 
It's a mental union. But it's most deeply a spiritual union, sharing and melding and molding each other's spirit. And that's brought on only by God. There's to be a sharing together with God. There's to be a, a nourishing and a nurturing of the spirit of God in our life. Now, here's the point. The greatest thing in the world is to know God personally and be perfectly assured that we will live forever with him. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you're married to somebody who is not a Christian, you cannot have that spiritual union. It's impossible. But you, you can if the one who doesn't know Christ will humble themselves, submit themselves to Christ, and be gloriously redeemed. Then the mind and the nature will mesh themselves together mentally and physically and be meshed together spiritually. And the, the, the couple then moves forward sharing in the wonderful grace of God. Your marriage is a picture of Christ's ending love for the church, of Christ's desire for our best, and Christ's willingness to leave the Father. What does your marriage represent to those around you? If you have kids, what would your kids say it does? Debbie and I, when our kids were, were at home, would every once in a while have these conversations. What do, what do you think mom and dad's marriage is? Because if, if, if we mess up with them, it doesn't matter how we do with you. And so there were some daddy-daughter dates where it was like, hey, you won't get in trouble for anything that you say. I'm not even going to respond to you. I'm not, I'm not listen, and, and this is what I'd say. I'm not going to say a word unless you ask me to. But you're allowed to say whatever you want, as long as you can do it respectfully. Say whatever you want. How does our marriage look to you? And then we let them respond. If you're thinking right now, I would never give my kids that kind of latitude, that's an indication of a very deep problem that needs to be dealt with. Because your kids probably know you better. And, and you have to let them work through the emotion so it's not a quick answer. It's not a 30-second answer. Hey, Jaina, what do you think about our marriage? That's, that's, that's probably not a, you know. But as they get a little bit older. Hey, kids, don't do it in a group. That's not fair. But just take them, hey, baby, what do you think? About your mom and I. And my kids were sheltered. They were like, you and mom argued the other day. We were just wondering if you're going to make it. Well, your mom wanted Taco Bell, sweetheart. And I'll just tell you, we don't do things of the devil in this house. And so we can't go there. What does your marriage really look like? 
You might want some mentors in your life. Because what happens up here isn't a picture of Chris and Debbie Chadwick. What happens right here isn't a picture of Bernie and Leslie Lund. What happens at home when the phones are off and nobody's around? That's who we are. And there's a girl in Lancaster, California, who can go, oh, I could tell you about my parents' marriage, and she's probably told you about her parents' marriage. (laughs) And there's a girl in Kailua, Hawaii, who could tell you about her parents' marriage. And sometimes, listen to me, sometimes the things that they said were really, really, really painful. But I wouldn't say they were wrong. And it was an opportunity to really grow. Father, thanks for the time tonight. I'm getting Thank you for listening. Find more messages every week at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m.